Hi, Chris Searles here. I am executive editor at allcreation.org, and I am the director at biointegrity.net, which produces all creation. And I botched the intro to our event last night, so that's why I'm making this video. I want to welcome you to our conversation on Pathways of Teshuva with eco-psychologist Pesach Hanania and special guest Marcus Carr. Dr. Hanania is a community organizer in Nevada, working to bring unions together on issues and opportunities around cleaner energy. And Mr. Carr is a youth mentor in North Minneapolis, where he's program director for Youth Farm, which is helping kids in that part of uh, the country get out of the traumas of institutionalized poverty and racism in America through urban gardening. And that is an extremely brief description of what Marcus does. He is literally saving lives with the work he does with youth. And that process has everything to do with engaging in nature and returning to a more native sense of self to break out of the paradigms of institutionalized poverty. And as Marcus will tell you later in this interview of being black in America today, Marcus's urban gardening team just won a $750,000 grant to expand and his Minneapolis Food Justice Council which he was appointed to co-lead by the mayor of Minneapolis after a six-year process just won city council approval yesterday for joining the Milan Food Justice Pact. And this movement, this policy change in Minneapolis will empower expansion of local food production across the region and even across the state of Minnesota. Marcus's approach to leadership is as a friend and as a builder and as a grower. He builds balanced relationships, whether it's with the kids or just as a gardener. He's working on balance and relationship. And this is because of his nature knowledge. And Pesach, the author of this breakthrough paper, he grew up as a Jewish American without a strong connection to his Judaism. And so as a PhD psychologist with a focus on how ecology and landscapes define our concept of reality, the space that we're in, as that person, he then went and explored his ancestral Jewish identity and discovered that indigeneity, which you could define as living with a sense of sacred relationship to the other life in this giant ecosystem, the biodiversity of a given landscape or place, that that is embedded in the texts, the ancient Jewish texts and the identity of the ancient Jewish culture. And of course, cutting all the way sort of to the chase of why we're having this conversation, why it's so important, that's the culture that created the first five books of the Bible and a lot of things for Western civilization. What Pesach is showing us and what Marcus's work is showing us, Pesach's personal experience as well, is that reconnecting to the land life, this is our best asset for a whole number of non-environmental solutions. My focus in biointegrity is why that's the best asset for environmental solutions. But what these guys can tell you is that this reconnection to nature is healing traumas and helping people grow into greater relationship with the other people around them and the rest of the so-called environment. This reality that we share of this life support system that we have named nature, which by the way is unique to Earth. Of all the known planets in the universe right now, thousands of planets have been surveyed by NASA. Only one has life on it. I want to say one more thing about all this. One of the things that Pesach and Marcus and myself are finding, which was, kind of comes out in this interview, is that by re-engaging in a nature-connected life, immersing ourselves in nature as much as possible, we're finding a sense of physical peace. 
and reestablishing physical alignment in our own bodies through stress relief. So every person I know has the need for physical comfort through feeling accepted and connected to the people around them. And the human world tends to make us feel not just emotionally, the human world of today anyway, tends to make us feel not just emotionally overwhelmed or abused, but physically uncomfortable and we carry that body with us. There's a thing above, there's a thing of getting into the natural world and participating with it, observing and enjoying it that allows you to relax and become more open because that's what this world is, this natural world. It's not a place of defensiveness, tyranny, or mind games and narratives and fear. It is a place of truth and reality. The creatures here are merely trying to coexist. Some of them are exceptionally benevolent, such as the trees. They give way more than they take. And some, of course, are poisonous and some are predators. That's a small minority. And they are part of a um, larger biospheric system, our life support system that is self-balancing and self-correcting and net productive over eons. And what I mean by that is, as we look over the history of the development of life on Earth, we've gone from microorganisms to the current era of macroorganisms, you could say, with the microorganisms underneath. Earth did not start out as a planet with humans on it. All of our religions and science believe this. And it is the return, or the teshuva, the return to this connectedness to each other and the other life on Earth, of getting out of the indoors, where only humans reign, and into the outdoors, that can help you access your truer identity. Pesach talks about this as liberation. There's a lot to be said about our kind of current way of life, of work, and then sitting and watching Netflix, and chilling and relaxing and de-stressing through entertainment and media, but there's a lot more to be said for being in a place that allows you to explore and be who you really are in community with others. And to work together, as Marcus's teams do, to discover new things about each other and the miraculous living world. And it just spirals up from there. So thanks so much for checking this out. We hope it stimulates your own investigations. Here is last night's broadcast. All right, everybody, welcome. What we wanna do in this event with you here is provide an introduction to some revolutionary ideas, I think for all people living in civilization today about our separation from nature and our reconnection to nature, all of the non-environmental things that come from reconnection. This idea of reconnecting to nature being more beneficial than just growing food and just saving the planet, so to speak. I think we're, um, we're Opening up tonight, honestly, with this paper by Pesach and with Marcus's work, a new era of, of thinking and conversation that is about accessing our positive potential as human beings through reconnection to nature. So I'm going to share first my sort of reading between the lines summary on Pesach's paper and ask him to respond. And then from there, we'll just talk through the many compelling points about that aspect of the paper. And then in part two, we're gonna to ask to hear from Pesach and Marcus about what's also stated in Pesach's paper, this idea of reclaimed connection to the lands, connection to land life, to indigeneity, that this is perhaps universally accessible. And in fact, Marcus's work really shows us that this experience is generating deep healing and space for compassion and growing self-confidence and, and moving people into a better state 
So we're going to get into all this. I want to say one more sort of plug here. Please read the paper when you have a moment. It is an elegantly written piece of scholarship. And as well, check out Marcus's work. His team just won a $750,000 grant to expand what they're doing in one of the uh, least food resource parts of the country. I think Marcus said a moment ago that North Minneapolis, where he lives and works, is the fourth worst food desert or something like that in the United States. So, okay. Pesach, here's my quick summary. In part one here, Pesach has identified the separation that occurred for Jews from nature. So in other words, I would say, Pesach, that we forgot and that you have made this reconnection that we forgot that the temple is a metaphor for homelands. It's the mm. place where Jews went when they could not be on their homelands, living in a sacred life. And secondarily, because the Jewish exile over 2,000 years ago was out of literally the most prolific and abundant part of the Fertile Crescent, where there was a lot of food and water and natural materials and ecological infrastructure, they were exiled from that place of abundance into the desert, a place of almost the opposite experience. And as mentioned before, Pesach's expertise is in eco-psychology. And so he's particularly aware of how that shift in literal environment that these people were in perhaps created a more adversarial relationship for practitioners of Judaism and nature. And at the same time, they were already sort of forced into a practice of ritualizing their Judaism into an institutionalized religion in a temple that was a metaphor for homelands. And so there is a deep, deep connection to indigeneity in the Jewish identity, the Jewish ancestral identity. And that's how I read this first uh, breakthrough piece of the paper. Pesach, can you kind of jump in and comment from there? Sure, Chris. Yeah. Um, so I probably wouldn't have phrased it exactly how you did. Um, but I think I think that's really on point. Um, I can share just a little bit of my um, exploration around around the topic. Um, so I don't have any official formal training in, in Jewish studies, um, in rabbinic studies whatsoever. Um, but about, gosh, maybe a dozen years ago, um, I was asked to um, to teach 11 and 12 year olds in a synagogue again no kind of background except for you know growing up jewish and so i learned a lot through you know taking on that opportunity and over the years for various reasons i kept on having opportunities to teach um in jewish religious schools and and did a lot of exploration um myself you know in diving into texts um through showing up to to um jewish religious experience which i didn't i, I grew up with a bit you know a, a lot of um, Jews, at least in the US, as I would imagine is similar with um, folks of other religious traditions, kind of show up to synagogue a couple times a year, maybe practice a couple of uh, holidays, but don't really have a deep um, connection or understanding. And so I've just been a student. I I've just been, you know, curious to, to learn um, with, with others and on my own. And then um, also about a dozen years ago, I started a graduate program in um, community liberation and eco-psychology. And I, I had the, um, the privilege to really 
explore a lot through that program. And within, you know, the, the different um, classes that I would take in eco psychology, in liberation psychology, a lot of my work was exploring um, both Jewish dynamics and um, connection and disconnection to land. And so that that sort of resulted in a couple of fieldwork projects. Um, and, and those are really what I explore in the paper is my trip to Israel, Palestine, which included 10 days of volunteering on Palestinian farms and really trying to, to gain a sense. I, I, I similarly to not really growing up with a whole lot of connection to Judaism, I also didn't grow up with a whole lot of connection to the land. And at about age 27, um, really felt felt that need. And so um, I, I had the opportunity to really experience uh, permaculture, farming, and really tried to learn how Palestinians are, are using that modality as um, sort of a response to occupation. And then shortly after returning from that trip, the next year, I was doing field work in Jewish environmental summer camps and spent about a year uh, mentoring in a Jewish uh, rites of passage and uh, wilderness exploration program with an organization called Wilderness Torah. And so that's the other piece that I really explore in, in the paper. And so kind of the, the thread that I use to tie all of those together is this concept of, of teshuva, which oftentimes is translated as repentance, but I feel like a lot of us don't really connect to that concept, right? It's related to this idea of sin, which a lot of us might reject. And so, you know, to really dig into that, that concept, you know, the, um, the etymology of, of that word teshuva, it means to return, right? And so we talk about it a lot um, during the Jewish high holidays in terms of uh, returning to, you know, our spiritual essence. Right. And, and so uh, I was really looking at at the practice of teshuva, the practice of, of returning and how we can apply that to um, to our relationship to land, to our relationship um, to each other and really discovering what it could look like to take a, a Jewish approach and an eco psychological uh, psychological approach and, and put them together. There's some really great um, work out there, but not enough. And so, you know, I, I, again, um, my, my work and my exploration was really just out of my own curiosity and my own opportunity to really put myself as an object of research and discover what would come up as I was getting in touch um, with, with both my ancestral heritage and, um, and getting connected to the natural world. Beautiful. Yeah. Marcus, did you want to comment? Well, I can definitely relate to that journey, uh, you know, uh, because uh, I think I found a lot of the, the things I was um, looking for for myself in nature. Um, I mean, I've always been drawn to nature. I, you know, I grew up here in Minneapolis, but I left and joined the military. And I, um, right, after, right after I turned 16, you know, I graduated early. By 17, I was in boot camp and traveling around the world and experiencing things I that I never see, you know, being on open water and going from continents and countries, you know, um, realizing that most of the boogeyman I've heard about look like me. It's pretty interesting. Um, and then um, 
really accept, start accepting myself because a lot of uh, um, older people that I encounter throughout my life has always installed this sense of wisdom in me um, from different cultures, different product of a lot of different people. And my father, um, actually every first son in my family has been a farmer. You know, my dad was born in West Africa. Uh, they own hundreds of acres of land uh, growing rubber and fruits and sugarcane and rice and all these things. And that that knowledge is slowly dissipating for my family. I found myself here not by choice. Um, I don't even know how I got here, but I realized I was really good at farming. Um, it was my medicine. It was my escape from like this world, from from this our society. I really kind of isolated in, on farms, trying to be around like-minded people, just kind of growing and seeing like the fruits of our labor, you know, being land stewards, you know. Um, and I, as a musician, I would tour, play music when the sun is up. And then um, every chance I got, I grew something. Um, and then they got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I started learning from my father and his degree, agriculture and his father, and all these things. Um, so I, I, uh, I can relate to that journey of like, you know, really, um, everything that's happening right now comes from me really digging inside myself, the time I spend in nature, really absorbing my own thoughts, you know, finishing my own thoughts, my own feelings, feeling my own feelings, um, asking myself questions and trying to process what's happening to me in America. Can we come back to that in this second part? Because I, I think that's, you know, exactly right. Like, um, the transformation and and the place of to process and get exactly um, i can definitely also relate to his, i'm sorry go ahead i was saying i could definitely relate i mean uh his journey you know not not being someone who's who intended to um be an expert or anything on this stuff but really applying um his own life to this process and being a vessel and hopefully using that opportunity for people outside of his body to see um, the kind of uh, quality of life or like the things they want for themselves, you know. Um, Marcus, I'm gonna interrupt because this is where your expertise as a practitioner, uh, it like gets us where we wanna go in a sense. Nice. In and uh, I wanna ask Pesach a couple more questions about the texts and some specific quotes. And then we'll get back into more of um, where you just were, I think, yeah. uh, because the again, it's this healing power um, conversation that is kind of the subtext here that I see. You know, your life having demonstrated, and then your work demonstrating, and Pesach having experienced as he was sort of saying uh, through in search for uh, identity and so forth. Um, but I want to talk about that after we ask Pesach a few questions yeah. about these various quotes he chose. So let me go back to that for a minute. Um, and so Pesach, here's here's a couple that I think really frame the significance of this uh, this separation from nature idea as being a, a thing that you know we can we can absolutely say happened. So here's one of the quotes that the you say as Benstein wrote, and this is a quote from Benstein: "The spiritual sophistication of the Jewish people 
was became to be seen uh, or came to be seen embodied precisely in our ability to dispense with a homeland of soil and borders and to live instead in the world at large or in the text. And then you also say, uh, maybe the next paragraph, for thousands of years, we have been taught to focus on the words that were given rather than the place mm. in which they were given. Can you talk about that a little bit, Pesach? Sure. I should pull up this exactly what you're talking about so I can get the the dates right. But, um, you know, and, and again, this is my um, study from from scholars, from experts, and I'm really a, a lay person uh, on these on these topics. And so I'm not promising to be 100 uh, percent accurate. But my understanding is that, um, you know, uh, up until the year 586 BCE, um, the experience of the ancient uh, Israelites was surrounded around the ancient temple. And now what's left of that temple in Jerusalem is the Western wall. There's one, and it's not even a wall from the temple, but it's sort of the, the external barrier. And so when, when that temple was destroyed by the Babylonians, they sent the vast majority of Israelites into exile in you know, the larger Babylonian empire. And a lot of Judaism was, was developed during, during that period and changed a lot because those individuals no longer had access to the temple where certain secretive rites were happening, sort of uh, animal sacrifice, right? The types of practices that, that we, we no longer practice. Um, 70 years later, the Israelites were allowed back into their ancestral homeland. They rebuilt the temple. And so for another 500 years or so, they were to some extent continuing to practice those rituals. And then the Romans destroyed the temple in the year 70 of the common era. And at that point, the rabbis no longer having access, the, the rabbis are teachers, rabbi means teacher, right? And, and so the religion went from a practice of, of priests, of priestly rites, to a practice of teaching. So there was this focus on, on the Torah, right? We, um, in the synagogue these days, have this really amazing scroll uh, all over the world. It's exactly the same. Scholars take uh, great care in writing this this scroll, and there's such an emphasis in the Jewish world of of reading both the Torah, which is the the five books of Moses, the other books of what some would consider the Old Testament, and extensive commentary and commentary the the Mishnah and Gemara and all these books that the rabbis read and study over and over again and that young Jews in school will read and debate about and you know we inherit all of these these amazing stories and and those of us all who are in the western tradition know many of these stories right the exodus story of of Moses perhaps some of the other stories of of the forefathers like uh Abraham Isaac and and Jacob and you know, so just to, to respond to that quote that you offered, Chris, um, Judaism is seen to be 
a result of innovation of those early rabbis of needing to adapt from a people focused on this central temple and these ancient rituals and instead really become focused on on laws and you know you can you can look at the example of the way that um religious jews observe shabbat the sabbath there's so many laws right and that's so much the central of uh the, the centrality of the religion today is focus on the laws on textual study on <clears throat> debate and many would argue that that despite the importance of those rituals we simultaneously have lost a connection with the earth and i think that, that again those of us in the western tradition and those of us really across the globe from every tradition have lost a connection to the earth and so my interest that, that i'm exploring in this paper is where in our tradition in our stories both you know what, what i would call the myths of of the torah but also of maybe these more recent stories of hasidic masters like where can we find experience of connection to the earth and so one one example that i explore is um rabbi nachman of breslov was known for the practice of hitbodedut which really is time alone outside speaking to the divine and so mm. you know some, some of us i think who have connection to the earth can relate to that that when we're outside especially you know under trees especially you know under the night sky we can really access spirituality in a way that's very different from how we might do um under a roof uh reading you know it's it's really different and and so just just to to wrap up sometimes when i'm at the synagogue for a shabbat service and there's a period where you know it's uh in a, an individual prayer right and people are reading i put my book down and maybe they're reading for five minutes or so and i just like run outside and i do my own my own prayers <laughs> under the sky and i i get just a minute in that service of that practice of of uh to do let me ask you one more thing about this there's a quote here i don't I don't know the word and the reference that takes that even maybe a little more specifically. You talk about leading Hasidic mystics and their disciples uh, spent time in nature to cleave to the divine, uh, while the vast majority of the world's Jews read the stories of our ancestral figures, nomads who had numinous experiences in the wilderness, we have by and large lost the sense that we too might experience divekut. What is Devekut? Is that unique to nature? There's also this great line in your writing where you say, you know, um, is it possible that our evolution towards being, quote, the people of the book has left us lacking a connection with the potential raw awesomeness of spiritual experience often occurring in the outdoors, in the wilderness? So, yeah. So what is Devekut? Is that only available outdoors? What does that sort of mean? It is. It is not. Um, it's just generally understood as, you know, the, the word that I use here is cleaving, right? Cleaving to the divine. Um, there's 
Sorry, I was just trying to turn. They're, they're similar words. Beautiful, beautiful sounding language and, and cleaving is such a powerful word. So yeah, go ahead, talk about right? that. And, you know, uh, again, I think that it's interesting to juxtapose the experience of having a tradition that is very much focused on, on prayers in a book with this concept of cleaving. Like sometimes, again, I close the book and I just hug it. Not that there's necessarily anything you know, special about about the book. It has prayers and so great, but it's just some some way to kind of wrap wrap my arms around around myself, right? And um, just in in terms of the this concept of nomads who had numinous experiences in the wilderness, we have these stories early on in the Torah of Abraham being told by this divine voice and i love that shawl marcus that's that's beautiful that's i would say that's another example right sometimes i take my shawl and just wrap it around myself yeah. right? right um abraham is told like go and the language it's lech lecha the hebrew it sort of means like go and go to yourself and so what he does is he leaves the land of his ancestors and he just travels and one of the first places that he winds up, and I talk about this a little bit in the article, is um, he winds up at uh, Elon Moret. And I learned from this, this great um, rabbi, uh, Zella Golden, who started this organization, Wilderness Torah, that I volunteered with, that oftentimes that word is translated, almost always is translated as the Terebinth of Moret. No one knows what a Terebinth is. And it's just Terebinth of Moret. But when you translate Elon Moret, and if you ask a fifth grader who knows some Hebrew, it means teacher tree, right? So Abraham leaves the land he grew up in. He goes traveling in the wilderness and he winds up at the feet of a teacher tree at the roots, right? And so we wonder, it's not clear in the text. We wonder mm -hmm. what did Abraham do at a teacher tree, right? We similarly know the story of Moses, you know, uh, tending his flock of sheep and just being overcome by this burning bush, right? And some would say, oh, maybe he had some kind of uh, special plant, this psychedelic <laughs> plant that exists out there. And that's how that happened. <laughs> we don't really know, but there's so many stories and I can, I can point to others as well. So many stories, these myths in the Jewish tradition where the connection with the divine happens outside, right? And we talk about these myths as if that was something that happened in ancient times. As if it used to mean something. Right, and now we don't do that, right? Now we just talk about it. And so the, the opportunity that I'm presenting, the horizon that I think this, this approach brings is what could it mean to meld our spiritual traditions and the stories, the opportunities, the possibilities that they present to actually being outside. If I know that this happened to my ancestors, to the myths in my tradition, could I potentially also be able to experience divinity just because I, I get out there, because I lech lecha? And you know, in my experience, yes. In my experience, it really did require first just being outside spending more time you know on my parents balcony as a <laughs> as a teenager and through the years on on my own balcony or just wandering in the forest or 
you know, um, just getting out there. And that's where the divinity happens in my experience, much more than either reading or being under a roof. Although it can happen there. Devekut can happen anywhere where we let the divine in, but the wilderness, and I'd be curious to hear, you know, how, how others on this call experience that too, but the wilderness, it makes it, I think, really accessible. Yeah, beautiful. Marcus, if you want to jump in, I mean, I have a, a bridge over, but that's really a great bridge to this idea that there are non-environmental benefits to uh, connecting to the other life on the lands around us and the, and the spirituality of our ecosystems. Do you want to comment, Marcus? Well, I think it's all a part of it. I think it's, it's all one thing, right? So I think everything this way is one thing. And it's interesting. Like I, <clears throat> I so one of the most impactful people in my life was a man, uh, he's still alive, he's in Israel right now. His name is Avri Ziv. And uh, he owned a business here, um, uh, you know, selling and, and uh, designing emergency lighting systems. And uh, Avri pretty much taught me how to take myself seriously. And uh, one thing he, one thing he installed in me is, um, you know, like, uh, like you were just saying, you know, the, the stories, I grew up in a very religious household. Um, and I think over the years, I fi started finding my own answers, like you say, outside amongst people and plants and underneath the sky. And, um, but one thing he told me was, you know, the Bible or like any word, uh, written, let's consider uh, the word of God is literally uh, what do you call it? instruction menu for how to live, how to be a better version of yourself. It doesn't have to be literal. The house I grew up in, I think, in many ways, people took it literally uh, because it's just a Western thing. You, you know, you you do all the sin on the during the week and then Sunday you're forgiven for it or something, you know? Um, whereas um, there's another old man that lives across the street from here and his name is Dean. He's an old Vietnam War vet and he's um, like, a, it's like a father to me, you know? Um, and he's Muslim, but he told me that uh, sin has a source, uh, the, the word itself, you know, um, before it was sin, he says, all it was is a scenario. Anything you can possibly imagine is a sin. Um, and I really kind of, he threw me off a little bit. You know, I have like pretty crazy conversations just being in gardens and in community and walking around in this intergenerational and cultural mix of things. I've created like uh, some form of wisdom uh in me but i always keep those things they tell me like very close and I, I walk you know um alone in nature you know really processing what they mean you know they were here before me they must know something so it's interesting and you have like such a deep history there are people that have left language and uh information about your uh you know generations of your people 
And I find that to be rich because I started learning about mine and I'm like, whoa, this is why I'm kind of weird. And, you know, like a little more, I have a thing about me that's not average, okay? And I think it's because of knowledge itself and the nothingness that I know I am. And I, I find that to be powerful. And all the disadvantage and things that we look at, I find to be a distraction because all those disadvantages has become my absolute advantage, the adversity. Living in North Minneapolis, the, the sort of social issues, the, the... I mean, living in America as a Black man in my skin. Thank you. Um, I serve this country. I'm a decorated war vet. I've been home since my mom had a stroke. I got home and I really wanted to show her something else, you know, than working three, four jobs to and surviving. Most people in my community are constantly in a fight or flight and they're constantly surviving, whether they have to move because they can afford the cost of living in places they've been living their whole lives or they're trying to survive from organ failure due to the amount of things they're consuming or they're becoming... They're, they're losing the size of their space because of the things they're consuming physically, right? So like they're buying the furniture before the house and the cars and the fancy name brand and the things. And all that doesn't mean anything. I really love being a creative because everything I have has real value. And uh, it may not be much to the worst of the world, but I really appreciate everything I have. My life has been very blessed this way. And um, yeah, I, I would love to talk to you more about your studies because this is like interesting. I tend to absorb information from a lot of people. And when you were talking just now, you reminded me of Avery um, just because uh, he was probably one of the most gentle human beings I've ever met at the same time, the most direct and honest. One thing he told me is stop apologizing. Why do you apologize all the time? Told him, I don't know, because I, you know, I'm sorry I got in your way. I was in your way. And his thing is like, well, if you keep apologizing for something that petty, what happens when you really mean it? I'm not going to believe you. And I always, that sat with me for the rest of my life. The best gift anyone could ever give me is to be honest and be direct with me. Um, and uh, I really value simple things like that, you know. I want to jump in because uh, I think I can I can tie that exceptionally important point to the conversation you and I were having, Marcus, on the phone an hour ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, and in a sense, one of your main themes is you're talking about your work with youth is always about being honest, talking to them, you know, from a direct place. Um, well, yeah, it's based on trust, too, you know, like they trust me to be of direction. Uh, I think nowadays people are taking that phrase, you know, uh, get down to their level and meet them where they are a little bit too literally, because um, I want my teachers to know something. There's, I don't a lot think, of, there's so much respect in this honesty you're talking about uh, for yourself, yeah. for the, the person you're trying to communicate with. It's about building, like you said earlier. About, about building. is is They look at me for direction or like as, you know, uh, you know, a place of safety. It's a very spiritual thing for us. You know, like I try to take away the trauma that's been installed in us in 
when they come to our space, we create these spaces as safe spaces. They're tools. You know, farms, gardens. Yeah, you mean the farms and the gardens are the safe spaces. Yes. They're all tools in inner cities for me and the children that run around with me. Is um, I want them to come there. I want them to be free to fail without feeling like the world is ending. I want them to be able to talk to me like, like I'm their equal because I'm literally looking for them to take my job because I'm not married to it. And I want to, I want them to be able to go around the world and, and have conversations with like-minded people about, you know, um, the experiences they had learning life, learn skills in places like North Minneapolis in their nothingness, not based on what they paid for. This is not, um, now this is starting to become more transactional. What, I'm, what I've been doing on the ground seems like everyone is looking for a job and things like that. But what they don't realize is what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get us all to lift so we don't need a job. Um, there's That's the point yeah, of making and, and give people, listeners, a little more context. What we were talking about earlier also was this idea that you and I and probably Pesach are musicians. And we sort of oh. see this visceral value. We seek meaning in our lives and we seek these real connections and so you know this is what i hear you talking about in a way it's like that's all here all of that stuff is rich in the garden Every, that's nature nature is abundance uh there's enough room and space for everybody um and it's funny that we to think that there are people that try to control how much you have access to or who is allowed and who isn't you know in minnesota you know, I forgot the number of farmers there are in Minnesota, but how many of them are black and why aren't there that many black farmers, you know, um, and things like that. But uh, like I was telling you before, the reason why I feel like I'm able to be a part instead of aim to control or be the boss or whatever um, is literally because of the creative part of me. I I come from a place where I've always been a part of rhythm or harmony. When I was sad, I was singing. When I was happy, I was singing. When I'm sitting on the phone with you, I'm sitting with a gitanelli. There's a banjo somewhere and uh, other things. And um, it's always been that way for me. So any process I'm invited into, I'm listening and I hear it, and, and it's not because I'm the best musician, it's because I'm listening and I'm willing. So um, the best things come out of the coalition of the willing this way, and the process, the end result is to get to the end on the same frequency. And I feel like that's what we're lacking when we take, I was telling you earlier that the artist mind and spirit is the same as an indigenous or a village concept to me, um, just because what, what was the scenario I, I used? I was like, well, a guy digging a well in a village doesn't divide up the jobs for who brings the shovel and who pours the water or who's like making the food. Um, everyone digs, jumps in. Some people make the food, some people set the table, some people pour your water, but the end result is we hit that aquifer and we have water. And the other thing you were saying was that big picture is the main idea here. Everyone's part of the same big picture. That is what's happening in this teshuva, this, the, the time uh, Pesach spent with the youth he's worked with, maybe also when, when you went over to Gaza Strip. Do you want to, I'm going to interrupt you, Marcus, and ask Pesach to jump in and talk some more. 
maybe about that experience going to Gaza Strip with a lot of these feelings. I mean, again, Marcus, you're you're like so evolved in your ability to articulate where this takes people and how it helps people. So I want to come back to you again in a second and hear Pesach talk a little bit about that emotional experience in Gaza Strip and the sort of compassion that came through this reconnection to the land in a new way. And we're, we're really now, I, I'll say one more thing. We're, we're, we're definitely deeply in part two. We, we transitioned well into that uh, almost exactly on time. Um, but we're this, just flowing. We're, we're flowing, but I, I'm calling this uh, part two for the listeners. This is the power of reconnection. So Pesach had a reconnection and uh, one of the um, stories he tells, personal stories he tells in this autoethnography essay is about how he went into Gaza Strip as a Jew and basically said, I'm sorry, I love you. And, you know, I'll let you take it from there. Thanks, Chris. Um, There was something that I heard you say a few minutes ago, Marcus, that I want to respond to. Um, before I do that, I just want to clarify, I was in the West Bank, not Gaza Strip, and I just mm. clarify that because those territories are very different, and I, yeah. I'm, I'm not um, going to get into it because I'm not an expert there, um, but the West Bank is um, an occupied territory um, fairly close to um, also the Palestinian territory of uh, East, East Jerusalem, and, um, and, and I had a, an awakening um, end of my senior year in college, which I, I talk about in the article. And I just realized that I needed to contribute um, in, in that land and do something and and do something with land. And, and I didn't know exactly what that would look like. But what I want to respond uh, about that you said earlier, Marcus, was this um, this concept of, of sin, right? And I think that so many of us don't really relate to it. Um, it feels very, um, it's very judgy, right? It's very make wrong. And I grew up as a Jewish kid hearing that word. But as a teacher of Jewish youth, I would always explain to them that the better translation for the the Hebrew word, which is usually translated as sin, is chet. And really what it means is missing the mark. Mm -hmm. And the solution to missing the mark that I'm talking about in this article is teshuva, is returning, right? If I'm trying to be right there and i go here all i got to do is come back right right and so i'm I'm hearing that in what you're saying in in working with youth as a guide right and helping them not to feel necessarily feel bad about missing the mark but it's just like just just learn how to how to come back yes right and um and i appreciate that like don't apologize for everything because sometimes you really need to and and in in the jewish tradition and around this holiday of yom kippur where you really see this word teshuva there is an emphasis on um on apologizing on repentance on making amends and so i i do think that that's that that's a, an important component sometimes and and so you know that's what you were referring to chris was i was trying to discover with this burden that I carried around um, uh, Israel's occupation of Palestinian territories, how could I, in my little way, feel like I was making amends? And for me, just in the, the own little way that I could, oh, I can help to water these plants 
on this Palestinian farm, right? There's all kinds of um, actions by Israeli settlers and military of cutting down plants in Palestinian lands, which by the way, both goes against, and I talk about this, both goes against um, Israeli law and Jewish religious law, but it's a pretty it's effective- abusive and destructive for, yeah. All the wrong pretty effective te technique of colonization and so for me to just be able to to tend to these um olive trees was huge and i remembered this mantra that i learned from a book it's a hawaiian practice uh ho'oponopono and the way i learned it is simply i love you i'm sorry please forgive me thank you and so again that's that's a way when when i've taught jewish youth how do we do teshuva how do we, you know, miss the mark and, and come back? Um, you know, that's that's a real simple, simple way. Um, the other thing I just want to share quickly, um, I do in, in addition to having a Jewish practice, I have a, a Muslim practice, a Buddhist and yoga practice. I'm pretty interfaith myself. And I happened to be at the mosque um, last Friday for, for Juma. And as I'm leaving the mosque, I see that the building right next to it it's a little little mosque, um, the historic West Side in in Vegas, uh, historically black community. Um, there's a building next to it, and there's this beautiful tree, and at the roots of the tree is all this trash. I'm like, man, we just got done praying, and then I'm looking, and there's all this trash under the tree. And I admit, I didn't do anything. I just got in my car and left, right? But it just occurs to me that one thing we can do if we are expressing care for for god's creation for the holiness of the earth you know i don't have to get mad at anybody i don't have to nothing but i could just go and pick up that trash right i could just do make that amends do that to shuva just in the in the little way and it doesn't have to be like going across the world and you know trying to make a difference on some with some other people's existence it could just be in you know it doesn't have to little, be very hard at all right yeah so yeah. i just you know that's and and so i'm i'm hearing that again marcus with with your teaching of youth with with gardening it's like just such a great opportunity to to coach or guide around like how do you get get back on it's track? everything it's, it's it's literally medicine and uh when you talk about that tree you know, the biggest part of my summer is literally picking up our environment. So we got to prep spaces and create. So like I just give the lecture on this where I was talking about healthy environments and it's like everyone feels like they're entitled to one in America. But what they don't understand is this is nature and in nature you have to create a healthy environment. That's why we have predators and prey and things in the dark lurking and things in the light. We got to create an environment to be a part of those things. Um, and I tell people like, what if you planted all these watermelons and someone come and smash them? What, don't you know that make you angry? It's like, well, no, we just plant them back. And if I find out who did it, I give them an opportunity to give back. So maybe they put it back. Um, this is all a part of programming. There's no need for reaction. But there's something you said that was like, um, it resonated with me and it was about, you know, reconciling and returning. So this is a problem we've been having here in America for the longest, you know, between this idea of white and black. Only in America do we have this duality, 
right, wrong, better, worse, winner, loser, white, black. And one thing I know about my community is that there's a very little choice, trust because of the historic uh, narrative when it comes to like institutions, when it comes to dominant perspective and white supremacy and how it just predatory things just kind of take over the entire existence of people that look like me. I mean, they're every day, they're moving, trying to get further and further away or closer and closer to their rest. And I think that's a mental, I mean, that's the impact of slavery in this country and what happened to Black people in this country was still happening to Black people in this country. And I have these conversations with people around culture building, right? Which has really, it's not really focused on the white and black part. It's just really us, you know, comes from the word uni, community, right? Um, means one, only from one can come two, right? And uh, we talk about reconciliation and uh, people talk about reparations and all these things. And to tell you the truth, you know, while Black people will love an opportunity to catch up economically in this country or have opportunities to actually create their own possibilities, all they really need is to be protected and for people to acknowledge that the impact of systematic oppression in this country is real. It's not equal to anything. It's not equal to anything in this country. I don't understand. So when we talk about reconciliation and self-correct, and this is the part of it where this is how I got to nature is because I decided that I didn't need that. Uh, you know, I, I, I got tired of arguing that, is this really happening to me? Am I like a well-decorated person being thrown on the ground on my face right now for with no apologies afterwards? Just pick up your stuff and leave. Right. Um, and I start seeing people that look like me becoming an interpretation of that same oppression all to feel safe, to have control. But the only place I found control was nature. It was where I could go and scream out loud and it's an empty void and it's also full and everything felt it. And I became a part of everything. It's where I could cry, it's where I could laugh, it's where I could process what's happening here on a human level and how to approach people because we're all a little bit sick in my community. So I approach everyone. Yeah, let me, let me jump in to say like, you're, um, you're a process person. This is what part of your practicing message is first and foremost, like relationships and process. And then I'm also curious though about where you are right now and what you're talking about, your kind of personal story where you came from wherever you were to where you are now. Yeah. Through the nature yeah. engagement. Because yeah, now well, you're I, a leader I, in I, Minneapolis. You just had this meeting today where you secured this uh, food policy with, for the whole city. And you yeah, know, you've got various things going on. You're a leader, but you weren't for a long time, probably. You had to well, get- Well, yeah, I mean, I, I found, you know, I didn't name myself that. I think people have given me that title as a community leader or like a food champion. Uh, and with the help of all these people on the homegrown food council here in the city of Minneapolis, I've been able to grow and learn a lot more about what's happening to me and what's happening in our food systems. But the idea of reckoning- 
your experience of healing in the garden in nature where you can yell and cry and laugh and shared that with the youth that you're working with today is that I'm know, trying to share that with my entire environment anyone who is willing uh I'm here for and everyone is invited here and um I think I found that level of uh humility and like just a passion for what I do um in my in during despair you know I don't want kids growing up experiencing anything I have I don't want um to pass my trauma on and have be stuck in this idea that I'm lesser than. But what I wanna do is enjoy myself as I am. And I share it with everyone. And it just so happened that my environment has seen and absorbed and accepted that for what it is. It's like, it's okay for there to be people that thinks that I'm not human. Um, but the idea of reconciliation is, is where I, I am because I've had this conversation this week. This is great. And we're going to have more of this conversation because I don't know how to explain how to reconcile. Um, there is, I don't need reconciliation when it comes to the historic narrative. What I need now is the ability to spend the rest of my life enjoying and producing and creating my own healthy environment. Um, and that will impact everyone around me and give them the same opportunity if I can actually stay focused and not be distracted by, you know, um, the trauma of it all. Um, and it's here. All I can do is hold people and we cry together and talk and laugh together and be present, not present for a reason, for money or some kind of expertise, but just because we're being. And I've been trying to figure out how to approach this idea of reconciliation because I don't really feel like any you know body is like currently responsible for I don't think it's a one person or one kind of people responsible for some of the trauma inflicted on black people in this country presently I think it used it the historic narrative is this is what it was and uh we're living in a system designed to uphold that history and um, everything I'm doing is fighting that narrative and trying to be honest, look the people upholding that 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 history and hiding behind, you know, like their false sense of superiority. I want to be able to name the impact of it on me and move on. I don't want, I don't hate, I don't have the ability to hate anybody. I think that's too heavy of a thing to bear for anyone um but it's so deeply rooted in my culture that i i really you know i really um you know i i, I really um you know i'm sympathetic to like black people in this country and everything i'm doing is to hold them high and try to uh lift the spirit um and that the land is giving me the tools and the ability to do that and it's and every time I see their faces, I see God. I see whatever, you know, thing you worship, I see. And nature has given me the ability to understand what that looks like. Um, and uh, I am learning constantly, you know, especially from younger people. Where live this intergenerational thing is is actually the best form of education I can ever imagine. So I, I, when you said uh, reconciliation, it just kind of like awoken. It, 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 it 
woke up that conversation I had recently. Um, and I told these people, I don't know what they, they were like, well, what does reconciliation, how do we get, how do we start over and get back? And it's like, can you? Um, or how do we move forward together? How do we move forward? That's the thing now. We don't want to move sideways and backwards. Gardening really, uh, I'm going to interrupt Marcus also because we want to invite people to Q&A. Yeah. Uh, so if, you, if you'd like to ask a question, maybe let us know in the chat and then we'll open up your mic um, in a moment. And um, yeah, let me- uh, I, love, I, love, I just want to say, I really love the narrative of uh, reconciliation uh, in your experience um, through all your practices because I think there's- there is something there of substance and the truth that really needs to be heard. And I don't think it's a, you know, just a Jewish thing. I think it's a human thing. I think that's your study. I think Absolutely. I really appreciate that about you. I can't wait to talk to you more. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. Okay. Look, that's a great way to time. We don't have any questions popping up yet in the chat. So I'm going to read, um, another summary from the paper for both of you guys to sort of comment on, and maybe this will spur a question or two. And it relates directly to what you just said, Marcus. So this is going back to Pesach's paper. And I kind of highlighted four key words here. The words are place, possibility, universal, and indigenous. And so mm. we can maybe sort of land here. And um, here's the quotes, the one you've heard, and it'll frame the, the other three. For thousands of years, we have been taught to focus on the words that were given rather than the place they were given, from Rabbi Korngold. And then Rabbi Komen says something that sounds a lot like Marcus, says uh, Pesach's framing of this. This inquiry into place and selfhood presents a profound possibility, an exploration, and then here's the quote, of the awesome mystery of the things we are usually moving too fast to see, during which time we acquire a profound respect for the plants and animals we come to know intimately. Mm. Yeah, that sounds like Marcus. And then, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then here's a great um, quote that is uh, Pesach sort of framing eco-psychology in a way from his uh, cultural identity, uh, situating culture within nature this work moves beyond the particular cultural experience of diasporic Ashkenazi Jews like myself and verges into perhaps and verges into the perhaps universal human condition of relationship to land and psyche. Hmm. And then lastly, and of course that of course society and psyche, self and psyche, but land is this element we have ex excluded in our you know Western narrative or biosphere, I would say in my language. And then the fourth quote here. To your point again, Marcus, in today's world, Jews have the opportunity to make any locale their axis mundi, to become indigenous anywhere on earth. Yes. So I see you exemplifying that. I hear you saying that. I'd love to hear, Pesach, if you want to comment on that summary. I know I kind of read it slowly, but we have uh, you know 15 more minutes here to kind of talk through these ideas of indigeneity and so forth not sure where to start except to say that you know i i appreciate chris you um reading some of the quotes that i borrowed from others because you know <laughs> so much of this work was from my own exploration and you know my own fulfilling of my curiosity and then just kind of like stringing together what i learned from it's an others. incredible threading that you do 
bringing all these elements together, I think. Thanks, brother. I, I appreciate that. It was it, it's been fun over the years um, to, to do that, right, to figure some of this stuff out. And so, you know, that quote from Rabbi Cummins is him talking about that practice of hippo to do. And the exploration that I had there was, you know, when we're training, like the, the practice, one of the practices that we were teaching these 11 and 12 year olds who happen to be um, Jewish kids um, to do is to be able to sit outside at the foot of these huge redwoods or what, what have you, and just be there for for minutes, right? Maybe ten minutes, fifteen minutes, and then sometimes I've I've liked to um we we have this great I wish I I brought my ram's horn, but we have this great ram's horn that makes this awesome sound. It's usually only blown a couple times in the Jewish year, but I would tell these kids, you know, when you hear the sound of our ancestors, you can come back, and so they would just be on their own out. They'd find a spot, and so it's it's this like. <clears throat> We're always moving so fast, right? We're always looking in the way. I have my phone right here. I'm always looking at my phone like this close, <laughs> right? I'm trying to, I'm typing fast. But when I can get out into the wilderness, I can just be at such a slow pace, right? And I can just experience the relaxation of seeing the wind move through the trees. And I'm, I'm really blessed, privileged, and grateful to have that you know, um, to learn how to do that in my twenties mm. and thirties. And so to be able to invite 11 and 12 year olds to, to get that is just like a phenomenal gift. And like the work that, that you're, you're doing markets of working with, with young people and helping them to see that like way earlier than we did, I think is, is huge. And, and so, yeah, just, just to, to go back to that point, um, I just happen in this paper to talk about the Jewish experience um, because that's one of the things I was exploring in my graduate studies and one of the identities that I have. And it's just kind of like the land, like my access point, but really all the practices that I share are accessible to everybody. Um, and it's really our shared, our shared connection to the earth and our shared connection around food is mm. one of the things. And I'd say the, the third, maybe, I mean, there's probably a few things that all humans can can relate to, right? Food, we live in land as long as we can acknowledge it. And I think the other one is dreams. We all have dreams. We all sleep. And so so that's kind of my, my background is in um, depth psychology, which like first and foremost is very much about, about dreams. And I was just sharing with my wife, like most of us humans, we don't talk, we don't share about dreams, right? We feel like really, I think, um, intimidated to talk about our dreams with each other and to talk about our relationship to land or disconnection to land with each other. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm just in, in interested in exploring the practices that I've discovered and how we can, we can all connect on, on, um, getting reconnected to, to the earth, to the natural, the, um, more, more than human or uh, other than human world. Let me ask one more thing, uh, before Marcus jumps in, do you have a sense of indigeneity now? Would you say that you feel more of that person feel to be more of that person? The paper begins so beautifully with you all, you know, talking about your youth, looking at the stars from your parents' house and, um, 
and you know trying to reconcile this is a different type of reconciliation this compelling uh, sense of connection to the stars with as uh marcus is saying you know the traumatic world that we live in the world that we live in and um and so now you i think you have really found a very credible connection and then you've also engaged in these practices uh these new rituals new embodied rituals so that's what i meant you know more connected more more of a sense of indigeneity now than you did as a child or something yeah for sure um so a couple couple things on that one, one is that um the time that i was writing writing this um it's been it's been a while since i first started developing this work it was like 10 years ago when i left i, I grew up mostly in las vegas and I had just left Vegas and moved to the Bay Area. And so I was very, um, you know, I was like, like Abraham, Lech Lecha, like I left the land of my ancestors and went out into the wilderness that I didn't know. And um, I was in the Bay Area. I was in Berkeley and San Francisco, which is just so different from Vegas. So I was really, you know, had the opportunity almost like from nothing, starting from scratch to reinvent myself, to explore identity, to get connected to to the unique environment that's that's out there. And so, you know, over the years, I've moved a lot and I've continued to sort of like adapt to the different environments that I've been in. So that's that's one thing. The other thing I want to share, I'm prepared with just a couple of books um, that and and I, I only quoted this one once a bit, um, but Nature and the Human Soul by by Bill Plotkin has been huge for me. I, at first, I didn't understand a lot of my experience and then when i read this book i did much more and he talks about um eco awakening how many of us have this experience of awakening to the natural world and, and in hindsight that is what i what happened to me when i was on my parents balcony or even taking the trash out at night in my little suburban community and just seeing the vastness of the sky, there was an eco awakening, and and Plotkin talks about talks about how that's sort of the first step in coming to terms with our own unique soul experience. And he really talks about how getting connected to, connected to nature is essential in getting to connected to our he he calls it soul or um, mythopoetic unique eco niche. And so, yeah, over over the last ten years, through my exploration of of nature and psyche, um, I do feel like I have um, really gotten kind of clear about who I am, and I'm still discovering that. And and you know, the the last thing I'll say about that, and, and again, Plotkin talks about how there's certain um, kind of tasks of each part of our lives that we need to meet, and really that um, middle childhood, you know, from like age four or five when we sort of develop our ego selves um, through puberty, it's really important to have a connection to the natural world. And I really didn't. <clears throat> and so it was at age 27, 28, when I kind of filled in that gap. And a big part of that for me was um, getting involved with Wilderness Torah and mentoring these 11 and 12 year olds. And even though I was, you know, more than twice their age, and I was a mentor for them, on some level, I was on the same journey of connection to nature with them. And I was really intimidated when I first started going camping and, and getting myself just real vulnerable in, in the wilderness. And um, just the impact, the positive impact that 
that had on my my psyche is is tremendous. Okay, Marcus, I want to pass that over to you because um, you know there's so much going on in this conversation, but the sort of one of the strong that, that links to uh, what I hear you saying about being black in this culture and what Pesach just said this this experience of being in wilderness in nature, engaging with kids and as a mentor, all that led Pesach into, if I'm quoting you correctly, Pesach, or paraphrasing you, like a stronger sense of your own identity. You feel like stronger in yourself now. Okay, Pesach's nodding. And then Marcus, we talked earlier a few days ago, you were talking about one of your kids calling you from college or whatever and telling you how he's managing this really rough situation. And I, when I, you know, when you talk about that to me, I hear you talking about these kids have developed life skills through the stronger sense of identity, through the relationships, through the process, all the stuff that you're about. It's funny, you know, like uh, just just to connect, you know, um, with what you said previously, it's um, it's funny the dynamic here. Just the the impact of nature. Um, on anyone from every different walks is the same. If you really, um, it, there's no, like your experiences in nature is exactly what, what I'm aiming to do here in uh, North Minneapolis is balance out the benefits of nature because that balance has been tilted, right? So um, my kids are learning how to feel their feelings in green spaces, how to really process what's happening to them instead of reacting, right? Um, whereas, you're talking about going camping and your love for being outside and stuff, but I know enough kids and black people in this neighborhood that would not go camping, right? Because of their fear of what would happen if they go camping. Um, and we're not talking about what would happen because of nature, but what would happen because of humans, the invasive species. Um, for them, there is some trauma being alone and isolated. And um, <clears throat> I'm trying to get rid of that uh, way of thinking, not by moving uh, physically, but by being still here and creating a version of nature. There's organic patterns in nature. And uh, I got to tell you, while there are like different approaches, they all have the same meaning. Um, and I appreciate you sharing that experience uh, growing up. And when you talk about, you know, feeling stronger as an adult now, I feel like I've always been an indigenous person because I was railed in my mother's house. Um, even though I was raised in America, I had to go home. So what was happening out in the world didn't matter because my mom had installed in me the need to have respect and, you know, come home at a certain time and eat certain food. She cooked a certain food. She taught me how to cook. Kids don't know where their fries come from these days. Um, and what we're doing is trying to give them the tools needed to actually process these things and learn how to grow everything. So the questions posed to them is like, what can you grow? Most people name plants and foods and this and that, but really the ones that are th really thinking will tell you relationships, community, possibilities, everything. And that's what I'm aiming to do here is use food as a tool to create social change in my immediate environment 
and I appreciate the opportunity to be able to share that with you guys. Um, and I hope whoever watches this talk can really try to see, you know, that while we're two from two different places and two different people, we're really the same in a lot of ways. And I appreciate the fact that I had the opportunity to have met you because I'm hoping we can build and grow from here. Amen. Yes. Meet, yeah. Meet in the woods somewhere sometime, you know, <laughs> and uh, play some music or whatever. I got you. Um, and yeah, thank you for this opportunity, Chris. Yeah, thank you for yeah. being here, Marcus. Thank you so so much, Chris and Marcus, and for your help, Katie. Um, I love I'm I'm in Vegas. Chris, you're in Austin, right? And Marcus, you're in Minneapolis. And so yeah. we're all all over the, all the over country, the really. And uh yeah. maybe, maybe at, at some point we meet in person and and do do exactly what you said yeah let's go to all the places we're good right <laughs> love it love it that sounds Thanks great so much, yeah thank you um until then we zoom and sounds uh good. yeah I'm, i'll wrap this up real fast guys because um you know everyone's got limited time so i'm going to do a real quick wrap up here by saying thank you again to both of you thanks to katie for helping us out thanks to the audience for being here and uh again to the listening people out there this content and these two gentlemen came to me through the All Creation Project. Uh, I was editor of the most recent issue called Envisioning Transformation. And so you can go to allcreation.org to read Paysock's paper, to listen to Marcus more in depth in his interview. And I just really encourage you to do that and get on board with this fuller life experience we're having through finding our connectedness to nature in new ways that I know I didn't start my life out uh, thinking was available. Uh, as a person raised in Christian culture. And I'm excited about this new era of connection for people of faith, people of their self-defined outlook, people who are anti-faith, secular, whatever. I think this this teshuva and this um, reconnection and all these things that that we're seeing in the work and, and um, in the academics, I think this is for everyone. And uh, Pesach, you know, you really, you rocked it. You, you really changed the world with this paper, I think. And Marcus, you're changing the world every moment with these kids. And uh, I sure hope we get a chance to interview you guys more because um, you really are two of the best leaders we have in your own ways. So thanks again. Appreciate you. Thank yeah, you so much. You too. And um, everybody else, thanks for listening and tuning in. We'll see you next time.